Shrinkwrap Radio number 841. Sarah Schley on her book Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrinkwrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave. And Shrinkwrap Shrinkwrap Radio. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. Today's interview is with Sarah Schley, an international business consultant, speaker, and author who has led organizational transformations around the world using a form of Jungian shadow work. She also has a bipolar 2 brain on the bipolar spectrum. This cyclical disabling brain disorder punctuated her otherwise super successful life for long periods of time. She documents this journey in her engaging memoir, Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed. Sarah Schley, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you so much, David. I'm delighted to be here with you. I'm delighted to have you here. We're going to be discussing your remarkable book, Brainstorms, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. And let me congratulate you on your book. Not only is it, uh, does it serve a potentially life-saving function, mm-hmm. but the book's a real page-turner. And I, I found it was like an e-ticket ride at Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, and I feel a little guilty saying that because the, the book is definitely serious, but, mm-hmm. but uh, you go through your life, uh, a, very, a very delightful, adventurous life uh, with great verve. So just that part of the book, if we were, if there were no, no painful drama involved, it'd still be a wonderful memoir. And well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. The book really does mean a lot to me. So I appreciate your feedback and that you liked it. Yeah, yeah, very much. And I also blush to admit that I had not heard of Bipolar 2. Oh, um, wow. And uh, I can perhaps be forgiven for that because... Uh, I haven't been in practice for some time. I retired some years ago from clinical work. And uh, so it was educational for me, for sure. And I'm sure it'll be very educational for listeners and and viewers of of the show. Um, So you were a high-energy undergrad at Brown University when you first had your first attack. So maybe that's a good place for us to start. So tell us what happened. Yeah, just tell us what happened. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, I was um, I was a senior at Brown University. I seemed like I had everything going for me. I played varsity sports. I had a 4-0. I had, you know, a gang of feisty friends and I was headed to med school in the fall. Yeah. And then, you know, then it was like a flip of a switch. And all of a sudden, uh, as if some alien had abducted my brain. Wow. And it, it presented as depression rather than yeah. uh, so it was widely misdiagnosed as, exactly. as, you, yeah. as, you, yeah. as you sought treatment. But you went from the very top in terms of your mood and and your achievement. Uh, you're, su you're a super achiever. You come from a super achieving family. You have super achieving friends. <laughs> right. And everybody was there for you, giving you good advice, trying to uh, some of some of the advice that well-meaning people gave you, you know, would have been logically you were suspicious, but you you were desperate and you yeah. had to, you had to try everything that was suggested. And still you were like running into a brick wall. So tell us more about the way it presented the, the you know, the depth of this depression that you struggled with. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's like, it's almost like, you know, imagine a plane that suddenly loses altitude and spiraling down to crash in the earth. I was, you know, living a, a pretty blessed and um, high achieving life. And then all of a sudden my brain stops working and suddenly I can't get out of bed. I don't, I'm too scared to see my friends. I don't, I can't navigate my way to class. I don't know where I am um, and nothing's working. I'm a science, you know, I'm a science major pre-med and I can't add two plus four without getting confused. Um, and you can imagine I was 21. It was absolutely terrifying because nothing like this had ever happened to me before. I was like, my, my brain um, flipped off. Yeah. Uh, and along with that, uh, you know, the in a, incapacity to do anything. And then the severe, severe crippling depression, which was part of that whole dynamic. And, and how long did that first depression last? The first one for me lasted about seven months um unrelenting and then in subsequent years and years to come on average nine months uh -huh. uh, where i would have these deep 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 dark difficult depressions and i i did a ted talk um david uh, which i think you may have seen but in it uh, one of the things that i wanted to really describe is what i call broken brain because i think when people see someone depressed they think about emotion right and sad so let's fix their emotion but for me it, it's um, it manifests as the brain is not working. So simple tasks like doing dishes or yeah. sorting laundry or choosing peanut butters in the grocery store become Herculean impossible. Um, so it's it's very very debilitating. Yeah, and often depression really starts with with a loss or or something like that. But you had nothing like that in your life. It just had a life of its own. It it right. was, was yeah. definitely definitely a biochemical issue and genetic, um, yeah yeah so how did you genetic there's a genetic component and For uh, sure. yeah and um so how did you get out of it that after that first seven months of that first attack uh just kind of by um what would i say i'm not sure serendipity i nothing really worked. I went to a therapist, friends recommended. Um, there wasn't any, what's the opposite of relentless? There wasn't any break for me. 
Um, but then I ended up, I ended up with this geographic cure. I had a, co a colleague from um, Rimbate in college and she was going to, off to Israel and she said, come, she was doing a program like oh, yeah. Peace Corps. And I went and something about that shift or maybe it was just coincidence or timing or the light in the Mediterranean or something. Um, and I started to feel myself back again. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was better for about a year at that point. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so you've always been a very high energy person, uh, but uh, but you didn't have the mania that that clinicians would typically look for. And so that was also another reason why uh, they really didn't identify it as a, as a version of manic depression. And I guess... I guess, you know, we're going to get to the, the book that kind of saved you and the person that saved you. Um, how long had uh, Bipolar two been a known entity? So, um, so forgive me for being a little bit uh, detailed about semantics, Good. but I think it's important helping people understand the distinctions. What I have wouldn't be called manic depression. Because manic depression is at an extreme end of bipolar one, uh, right. what we now know as a bipolar spectrum. So when we think manic depression with extreme highs and extreme lows, that's currently known as bipolar one. Right. Um, and that's easy to identify, it's relatively easy if someone's going all night sprees and irresponsible behaviors, dangerous behaviors, um, things that you kind of imagine that goes, goes with manic. Um, in my case, I didn't, uh, I didn't exhibit mania. And so many people like myself with bipolar two or other brains where they're living with that are on somewhere in the bipolar spectrum can have bipolar without extreme mania, maybe hypomania, maybe high energy, but because you're not going to go to the doctor when you feel good. Right. Right. <laughs> and if you're not showing irresponsible behaviors, you're not doing anything to make your family concerned. Um, you just look like any other high energy kid that went to my school. Yeah. You know, and it, so it took literally 25 years five psychiatrists and seven medications before I got the diagnosis that saved my life, which was bipolar Roman numeral two. And and how long had that been a known entity right, in the field? Um, I believe, and I'd have to double check, but I think it was first published um, right around 2002. And my diagnosis was in 07. Um, but it wasn't in, didn't get into the DSM, Diagnostic Statistic Manual, till DSM, Roman numeral five, the most recent one. Um, and we should check the year of publication of that, but it was subsequent to um, when the paper was first uh, published. Yeah, given its relative recency, it's, it's not too surprising that many clinicians didn't know about it, didn't recognize it at all. And of course, right. that's... One of the functions of your book, one of the driving purposes behind your book is to bring it into the limelight, uh, the awareness of people, uh, both professionals and and people who might be suffering from it. Absolutely. Yeah. And friends and family. And it's really important to note that bipolar 2 is not a lesser form of bipolar. Uh, people with any form of bipolar, including mine, are twice as likely to attempt suicide than people with, with uh, clinical depression. Their depressions are extremely long. It, it is just a, it's kind of a different variation, but it's equally serious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet it's missed. And again, as you said, that's why I wrote the book. And, yeah. and we're yeah. not- Yeah, um, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you're showing it. Uh, Here it is. Yeah. 
There, yeah, wow. that's what it looks like. And can you show how thick it is? Because it's a not a big, thick book, amazingly, that you were able to pack as much into this book as you did. <laughs> you got your whole life up until now into this yeah. book in less than 200 pages. 250 in a way. pages, yeah. My editor is good at helping me keep things lean. Yeah, so, yeah. So it well, should be a fast read, yeah. Yeah. Now, there were also predisposing factors there. Uh, your mother suffered from depression, and it was interesting that as a as a young women's liber at the time, uh, you had vowed you <laughs> you outlined how you know you had vowed to yourself, "I'm not going to be like my mother," because she had bouts of depression that mm -hmm. where she was unavailable to you and to the family, and um, and also your father uh, suffered from alcoholism. So, you know, a clinician would look at those and say, okay, well, you know, these have to be seen as part of the picture. Um, but you'd be surprised how many didn't. Um, my dad was a CEO, very high functioning, would never call himself an alcoholic, and you probably wouldn't either. He abused alcohol, in my opinion. My mother was elegant and graceful when she was healthy, and when she wasn't, she wasn't leaving the house. So, you know, there was a picture that was very different than the reality in our home. And then when you go, the shocking thing for me is those first four psychiatrists and even a few therapists never asked about family history. Yeah, that, that is shocking. I thought that was shocking. part, part mean, of the regular deal, right? Yeah, and now I think people are much better routine. about that. Because, yeah. um, David, I don't know if we'll get into it, but I'm also working on a film now based on the book, which is super cool. And it's going to be a, a rigorous science-based documentary. Um, inspired by the book, not we shouldn't say it's not only my story, we'll have many stories in there. Okay. But um, I wanted to mention that because we're learning so much fascinating science. But one thing is that it's bipolar is one of the most inheritable psychiatric, I think they say the most inheritable psychiatric disease. So yeah. anybody, any clinician should be asking, tell me about your parents, you know, yeah, <laughs> or your yeah. grandparents. Yeah. It turns out I have that in my line as well. So it's it's something that that I have. the The way that I've noticed it is there are I get paradoxical reactions to some prescription drugs, where I start to get high off of them, mm. and and uh, and fortunately I never got, you know, lock him up high. <laughs> And, and a couple of times I've realized, uh oh, this is, you know, when I found out about the fact that this was in, in my line, I warned my, my male sons, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, it seemed to be in the male line and, and uh, that they should be, they should, if they got depressed, or we didn't talk about the mania part, but if they mm -hmm. got depressed, you know, they should, just wait for the wheel to come around, you know, that eventually, hopefully it would pass. But, but I was hoping that the knowledge of that might help. Do you think that either your mother or your father might have had an undiagnosed version of bipolar 2? I absolutely think my mom had bipolar 2, Roman numeral 2, and here's why. Uh, lithium worked for her. And mm -hmm. for the most point, and again, I'm not a doctor and I have to be careful about, about prescribing or theories about medicine. But for the most point, what I understand is that if lithium works almost by almost by definition, it means you're somewhere on the bipolar spectrum. Lithium yeah. won't won't be super effective for someone who's just at the clinical depression end of things. Yeah. So I believe that she was. 
Uh, she had severe depressions and lithium worked. So I, th I think she was bipolar too, or somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I could I, be wrong. My grandfather said, yeah. I, I had intended to ask you about the film. And uh, so just coming back to the film, uh, when's it going to come out? Uh, how will people find it? Yeah. So um, I'll just say a little background on that is that I, uh, you know, my mission in this thing is to end the stigma, save lives and maximize healing. And so I really, once it, it took me 40 years to be willing and tell my story, David, you know, you know, I was um, terrified and I didn't come out till last year, you know, or was 2021, I think. So there was um, a, a so deep feeling of shame about, about shame, the whole thing? stigma. Yeah. I thought I'd lose my clients. I was a consultant, you know, and I, I didn't trust, uh, I had a lot of fear and shame. Yeah. So, but then once I finally decided I was going to do it, which was um, somewhat because of COVID and other things and what I call the pandemic induced mental health tsunami, once I'm out, I'm out. So I want this thing to, you know, amplify as far and wide as it can. One of my friends from college is a wonderful um, uh, PBS documentarian. She had read the book. She was inspired by the book. Oh. I said, hey, you know, Bonnie, do you think we could get this on PBS? And so the whole thing unfolded that way. Oh. Um, and so I have a wonderful, really serious uh, team of PBS and uh, Nova filmmakers, Bonnie and Bonnie Walsh and Melanie Wallace. Melanie has 40 years on Nova. Uh, they're science documentarians. So our, our goal is to like weave a unprecedented narrative of, of stories of people with lived experience of bipolar like me and the cutting edge science and breakthrough treatments. So we might see it on PBS or Nova. Oh yeah, that's the goal. We do have some interest from PBS right now. It's uh, yeah. it, that's a that's a high bar, but I think um, we're gonna get there. Yeah. So yeah. I they say twenty five. Like filming will begin in twenty uh, the end of the summer, uh -huh. and then editing, cutting, whatever. Probably two years. Yeah. Uh, well, that's something. Maybe sooner. To, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. It sounds like a a wonderful journey, and. Thank you. Uh, and so much has gone wonderfully alongside with, you know, you want you were desperate to have children of your own, and there's a whole chapter or two in the book, or that's one of the threads that runs through the book was the struggle to uh, to have children. It looked like you it looked like uh, you weren't going to be able to. You had a wonderfully supportive husband who's, uh, you know. I'd be reluctant to let any my my wife read this book, you know. For <laughs> fear I would come off so yeah. badly <laughs> compared to compared, yeah. yeah, compared to your husband, <laughs> and um, and you mentioned that uh, the two of you had a consulting company or have a consulting company called Seed Systems, and I was interested in that before I read the book, and I was wondering, well, well, what the heck is that? You know, the Seed Systems. And uh, and uh, I could tell that you were, you know, had been doing high level consulting work. And I thought, well, who is she? You know, what is, who does she think? Who does she think she is? <laughs> so, wow. uh, well. Um, well, yeah, that's taking me back. I mean, I did have a consulting. It still exists, um, but I'm so focused on the film and the book right now. For yeah. 30 years doing sustainability consulting, environmental and social issues. What now they call ESG environmental, social, and government governance or business as a force for good or any of those kind of acronyms about positive impact in business. Right, right. And so we were kind of like, you know, way back when sort of the forefront of sustainability business. I was, I live in Massachusetts. I um, was lucky to get a gig at MIT with a guy called Peter Senge, who was working 
um, with uh, systems thinking and organizational learning and big companies, and that set me on that path. Yeah, uh, and and one of the things that was interesting to me is I'm a longtime fan of uh, Carl Jung, as people on the show will know about me, and uh, and also taught Jungian-oriented classes and would do shadow work in the classes, you know, but not at the level that uh, your company uh, took it to uh, a very high level of intensity, a multi-day process, and uh, and it was very successful. So, you know, it's not that many people that can turn Jung into a successful consulting <laughs> business. Well, I have to honor the founder. It's called shadowwork.com. His name's Cliff Berry. And um, so I'm like, like certified in his uh, Cliff and Maryland's in their process or their practice. And there's a whole bunch of us certified facilitators now um, around the globe. But yeah, it's a very, very powerful. And perhaps it's because of this, you know, bipolar world that I was living in, you know, and uh, an interest in going deep into emotional and psychological issues that the shadow work methodology allows for. And also, um, you know, it's kind of like you can't scare me. So I say that in, in the TED talk, there's nothing that probably you could do, David, that would scare me off that my brain hasn't already done to me. Uh -huh. So there's a way that I can, I can be present with people. Um, I think in a deep way, um, yeah. as lots of my colleagues are, but so that's a powerful practice. And, and you're wondering like, so how's that related to sustainability? Well, we were doing a lot like you, a lot of coaching and facilitation of groups. And one of our colleagues, Bill Isaacs brought the founder, Cliff Barry, to uh, to this gang of people at MIT who were doing facilitating. And so we went through that as kind of a professional development into shadow work. And my husband now showed up to that to that um, workshop. That's how you guys <laughs> met, right? 30 years ago, last last month, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and you, you wouldn't think that shadow work would be a great way to fall in love with somebody if you if you guys <laughs> if you guys were making your shadows present. <laughs> no, on the contrary, it means you get all that stuff out. We say shadows out front, you know, so they don't attack you when you're not looking. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's been helpful. Yeah, and um, and you also were blessed, you know, in so many ways. Uh, by uh, a lifelong circle of friends. I think you mentioned a, a group of women that you've been in a group together that meets regularly uh, for 24 years. I think I've been in a men's group for about that long. I've lost track, but... Uh, uh, no, but it's going to be 28, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since the book was written, probably. Yeah. Uh, or did the first drafts in 95. So I think that's yeah. 28. Yeah. So, so uh, Dr. James Perlman is the person who finally diagnosed you as having bipolar two, and um, which is also called soft bipolar. Given how hard it was on you, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't like calling it soft. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand um, that it could be soft. Definitely not soft. Yeah. That, so it was Michael Perlman, Dr. Michael Perlman, who's a local psychiatrist here in town, and it was finally oh. the fifth guy because. I actually was talking to my older sister, 10 years older than me, Martha, and I was in a very deep, horrible place for 16 months because what happens is if you have a bipolar brain, but you're given uh, SSRIs and other antidepressants because oh, no. the clinician thinks that you have unipolar depression, they can, in many instances, make you worse. And that was my case. The, those, those antidepressants were very, they can trigger mania, they can trigger hypomania, anxiety, um, 
they can just basically make you worse. So I'm on all these uh, anti uh, regular depressant, antidepressant meds getting worse and worse. And psychiatrists who don't have a lens that there's a bipolar spectrum think I'm worse. So they're giving more of the drug that's making me worse. -er. So yeah. I'm like increasingly suicidal. It was horrible. Um, couldn't sleep at night. And so I'm desperate and I, but I have two little kids by then. And I, I said in the book, I think I would rather be in hell for eternity than leave those kids, you know, with a legacy of a mother who took their own life. Yet, I don't want to shame anybody or any family who has, because I get it. I get why people take their own life. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's that excruciating. It, it's a noble choice, but I couldn't do that for my children. So anyway, talking to my sister, Martha, mom was on lithium. She must've been bipolar. Don't, I think I might be bipolar. Can you find me a bipolar doc? Because at that point, you, it's very difficult to pursue anything for yourself. Yeah. So she actually, by grace, found this guy out here, doc, I'm saying out here because she's in Boston, I'm in Western Mass. Dr. Michael Perlman, he had um, made it part of his mission. He was like 70 at the time to study the complexity of bipolar. He went to the International Society of Bipolar Disorder Conference every year, ISBD, big academic conference. And um, so he had the book by Dr. James Phelps. And um, that's called, Why Am I Still Depressed? And Jim, he's now a friend of mine. He's involved with the book and the movie, who's an incredible human being. Um, so my mild digression, Jim has spent his life focusing on the mood spectrum and trying to help people understand these distinctions that we're making. He's a clinician of 30 years psychiatrist. So he had published in his book, which is now online, and I can tell you where, um, the Bipolar Spectrum Diagnostic Scale, BSDS. And Dr. Phelps was using that to uh, screen me, basically, to ask these questions. I'm sorry, Dr. Perlman, my, my psychiatrist. So 25 years, this guy asked four questions, and in 15 minutes, he has me diagnosed. Wow. Yeah, it's wonderful when you find one of those guys. In my life. And, yeah, and they're, and they're rare. And the, the uh, magical drug that I believe you're on, maybe it's changed, Lamictal, am I saying that right? It's called Lamictal, yeah. It's the brand name for uh, the generic is called Lamotrigin. Um, and then I also later added, I call it a homeopathic amount of lithium, what um, Dr. Phelps would call low dose versus high dose, which he thinks right. are two different drugs. Right. Um, but yeah, so again, I'm lucky. It, they don't work for everyone, but when they work, they work really well. And um, part of my passion, again, for the book and for the film is if you have the lens as a clinician or a therapist to look for a bipolar spectrum and you have a simple questionnaire, you can diagnose correctly and save someone's life, you know? Yeah. Um, and the impact for generations of what that means for children and their children, right? Yes, right. Now, part of the title of your book is, the, is you say you are blessed by the experience. Tell us about that piece of it. How can you come through all of this horror and feel blessed? Yeah, I mean, thank you. I, it's it's kind of a nuanced um, thing to hit, I think, David, around helping people understand how horrific these diseases are, not to Pollyanna it, but at the same time, there are blessings and silver linings. So um, I'll say that right before I was going to publish this thing, and I still was scared, you know, and yeah. my editor, his name Jennifer Margulies, she said, okay, here's your assignment. 
I want you to go home and write this. I am bipolar and a better person because of it. She actually said bipolar and a better leader because of it. Uh Um, And I'm getting chills telling you this. So I went and wrote it 45 minutes. And after I wrote it, I was like, okay, I can publish this. Uh So there's four things. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so what was the insight that, that you got as that, that you wrote about? So, um, so the first is kind of like, um, what I was saying to you about emotional fearlessness that because of what I've been through, I can be with people. Yes. It's people who are in pain, who are desperate straits. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not perfect at it, but it doesn't, it doesn't scare me, you know, and I can, I can accompany someone who's going through something difficult. Yeah. Uh, Like people and people like me can do that. You know, people who've been, I call it the hell and back club. Um, Then I have compassion, which is related, but it's like, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go, I, I could be the person in the streets. I could be the person with an opioid over overdose. I could be the, I could be any of those people. Yeah. Um, And I'm not going to judge you. Um, so you, you, I mean, if you're a horrific, you know, some kind of mean person, that's different. <laughs> I might judge somebody else for, you know, lying, lying, cheating or stealing, but anybody who's going through something like this, I, I there's, I mean, I have a lot of compassion. Um, and then, uh, another one was discipline. You know, I talk about this a lot in the book and in the film, we'll talk a lot about it in the Ted talk is that, um, I believe that medication is necessary for someone like me, but not sufficient. There's a whole slew of behavioral practices that you got to do to also really, really deep self care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's all the stuff you hear about exercise, diet, sleep, um, you know, yoga, meditation, whatever. But um, my friends will say, you know, you're, you're my North star on discipline. How do you do that? And these <laughs> are people that didn't know about me didn't, you know, cause I wasn't out with a book yet. And I'm like, well, because if you knew it was at risk for me, you'd be doing it too. Yeah. But, but that discipline can be contagious in a good way. Um, you know, get people up and out. And, and we've learned a lot more about this through the study. Like, I don't want to do an advertisement, but this is um, a, um, a probiotic kind of drink. So the microbiome and how there's a huge story about the gut brain connection. There's a right. guy in England coined it the psychobiotic. Um, and keeping that healthy, that's a big story. So, you know, I try to do my, uh, probiotics and my fermented foods. And then the last one was gratitude. I think gratitude is huge. I mean, gratitude is, it's just, again, and people are like, how are you in such a good mood? It's like, because if you knew what it was like to come from a brain that couldn't choose peanut butters, you know, a brain that wanted to leave the planet, a brain that, you know, moment to moment, it, it was excruciating to be here. And now you're back and you're fully functioning and you're having a life, which is more blessed than it was before because you have the perspective of what you've been through. You know, that's yeah. gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've gotten through the stuff that I wanted to get through. Is there more that you'd like to get out here before we wrap it up? Um, let's see, David. Um, well, I could tell you some of the science themes in the in the movie. You could tell me if any of those are interesting. We could dive in a little more. Okay. Um, one was circadian rhythms. Uh, one is the microbiome, psychobiotic, like I was saying. Then there's um, stress, inflammation, 
and mitochondria, which I don't know as much about. But um, I could tell you kind of a cool story of this. Uh, we've, we've been interviewing, we interviewed 25 scientists who are like world leading bipolar science docs. Um, and we get to them because one of, uh, one of my new beloved friends is Dr. Holly Swartz. She's um, University of Pittsburgh medical psychi psychiatry professor and a clinician. And she um, got on board with the book and the film in a big way. She loves the book and the film because she has also spent her life, her focus is bipolar too, uh, along with a, um, several other psychiatrists who works closely with one out at Stanford called Trisha Supes. And they wrote a book about bipolar too. And so she says, my, my book is the first person narrative that we've been missing. Yeah. But we become buddies. We've been in a bunch of conferences together, which she tells a scientific story. And I say, this is what it's like inside your brain. So that's been very um, uh, generative and productive and good. And um, so why did I mention Holly? Oh, because, because of Holly, we have access to all these brilliant scientists because she's been introducing us to all her buddies and she's highly regarded. So we've, if you go to the website, you'll see all these experts listed um, from you know Toronto and Pittsburgh and San Diego and Harvard and Stanford and very cool. And then around the world, we have Australia and we have this guy in Ireland, I mentioned a lot of Canadians. So, um, so one guy was Michael McCarthy uh, he's a doctor, young doctor, psychiatrist, and um, clinician and researcher at, at UCSD in San Diego. I happen to be going out there to watch my kid play Ultimate Frisbee. He plays for Cal. Uh -huh. <laughs> so while I was there, I got to meet Michael. We've just been introducing everybody on Zoom. So he takes me into his lab, and and um, and he shows me on PowerPoints mostly. Um, so I find this fascinating because you know, working with mice, you could um, learn something about the human brain and they're working on circadian rhythms in mice, keeping them up late or whatever. Working on post-mortem brains, you can learn something about the human brain, but it's not an action. You can't intervene with a living brain ethically. So they um, instead are growing neurons. And they're so they're growing neurons by taking, um, here's a skin graph for me, uh, bipolar person, take a skin graft out of me, take one out of my husband or anybody, let's just say who, who uh, is a control group who doesn't have bipolar. And then there's a third variety of people with bipolar who don't respond to lithium. They take the skin graft, they're able to wind it back to its undifferentiated self as a stem cell. And then they're able to wind it forward and tell it to become a neuron. So then they have neurons wow. from the bipolar brain, neurons from the control group, and then they can feed them things like lithium and or make it darker light and see how these guys respond. So I don't know, I just thought that was very cool. That is very cool. Very and, interesting. Yeah, and that, that's, a, I think, a good story for us to wrap it up with. So um, uh, Sarah Slay, yeah, I am saying it right. <laughs> I want oh, to thank, thank you for being my guest today on Shrink Wrap Radio. And it's, uh, your energy is still infectious. And, uh, and and it's healing, and uh, I think you're doing good work out there. And thank you for showing us what the book looks it, like again. Would it be possible to do a shameless plug, David, or will you put that in the uh, in the notes for the film? No, you can do a shameless plug. I just I, I because I've been hearing from people like you that book is good, and I would love people to get this book. So it's sarahschley.com. 
or that you can just go to Amazon or wherever you like to get your books and look for Brainstorm by Sarah Schley. And then the other one is, uh, if you want to look at the film, it's brainstormthefilm.com. And there's a lot of interesting, cool stuff there. Um, if you want to stay tuned, then you'll have information about it as we're, as we're moving along. And you can see the scientists that I talked about. And so that's brainstormthefilm.com. Yeah, great. Okay, well, I do thank you. And it's been delightful talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, David. Wonderful talking with you, too. I really enjoyed meeting today's guest, Sarah Schley, author of the remarkable memoir, Brainstorm, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. As I remarked in the interview, not only does the book serve a potentially life-saving function, it's also a real page-turner. I felt a little guilty about enjoying the book so much because it covers a number of very painful episodes in Sarah's life. These painful episodes consisted mostly of biochemical and genetic brain attacks lasting seven or more months at a time due to her affliction with bipolar II. As if the disease were not devastating enough, her anxiety was compounded by the fact that it took about 25 years before she finally received the accurate diagnosis of bipolar II. Diagnosis was difficult because the disorder presents as depression, a really profound depression that saps one of the will to live and of the brain power to deal with life or to think clearly. Most of the psychiatrists she consulted treated her for depression according to the standard practice of prescribing SSRI drugs, which unfortunately made her symptoms worse, in essence, poisoning her brain. Sarah's reason for writing this very frank, tell-all memoir is at least twofold. First, she seeks to dispel the shame that surrounds mental illness generally, not just bipolar. She shares how her own sense of shame made the writing difficult and even made her reluctant to publish the book long after the manuscript was actually written. Second, she believes getting her story out there will actually save lives. She herself was very suicidal at the most despairing points of her journey. She's glad she didn't kill herself, but says she feels no blame toward anyone who ultimately chooses that desperate option. She's been there and has compassion for anyone who comes to that place where they are unable to envision any other way out of their pain. She hopes her own story will show that there are other ways out. In fact, as the subtitle of her book asserts, she's moved from broken to blessed. Without being glibly Pollyannish about it, she's come to the place of being able to say that her trials with bipolar II have taught her emotional fearlessness, discipline, gratitude, and compassion. Instead of shame, she notes, there is pride. I heartily recommend this book to one and all. You are guaranteed to come away a better and smarter person for it. Once again, it's Brainstorm, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum by Sarah Schley.
David, hi. It's John Kosowski from Sydney, Australia, the nice little sunny, smoky, fiery place at the other side of the planet. Um, thanks for your podcast. I love it. And I'd just like to encourage people to subscribe and even pay a little bit because when people get an education, then that seeps out into the world, makes the world a better place. So for a little bit of money, you can really make a big difference by spreading the little ripples out into the world of intellectual education and it makes people be less bombastic and bloody-minded when they're um, well-educated. And Dave's podcast is fantastic. I've about 10 different podcasts I listen to on similar subjects, meditation, brain science, psychology, and Dave's is one of my favourites. So uh, please support him and uh, all the best. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, John, in Sydney, Australia, for calling out to intellectually curious folks and becoming a, a financial donor and encouraging others to follow suit. I'm so glad to hear you found so much stimulation here and have made Shrinkwrap Radio one of your top 10 podcasts. Thanks to my guest, Sarah Schley, author of the book and upcoming film, Brainstorm, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. Sarah, I found your book absolutely riveting. Sarah, I do believe your life-changing story of your struggle with bipolar 2 will help end the bipolar stigma, optimize brain health, and save lives. My next guest will be marriage and family therapist and author Alyssa Hirschfeld on ketamine-supported therapy in treating loss and grief. Until then, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and our precious earth. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.